I'm Luke Betger, and this is On Point. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to On Point. This is the podcast where I get to have meaningful conversations with leaders from all across Europe about leadership, church, and life. My name is Luke Betger, and I'm so excited for today's show. We've got a great guest on the show today, and I think you're going to learn a lot from this guest. But before we get to that, let me just say thank you so much for listening. It's so great to have you with us, and the response to On Point has been awesome. We've had people listening from all over the world, and it's been really cool to have people reach out and, and to say thank you for the podcast. And I'm really excited with the traction that we're getting, and uh, I'm really believing that we'll continue to actually just reach more and more people. You know, the point of this podcast really is to help equip leaders for influential ministry, whether somebody serves as a senior or lead pastor in a church, or whether somebody just serves on a team in a church, or whether someone just attends a church, whatever it might be. We really think that there's some value here for that person, and I hope that that person is you that's listening right now. And it would be great if you could actually take a moment and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That actually really helps the algorithms, and uh, it helps more people hear about this podcast. So if you could take a moment and leave a review and leave a, uh, a five-star review, five-star reviews only, please. <laughs> but go ahead, leave a review, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, and that will help us get the word out to even more people. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Pastor Daniel Darcy. Daniel and his wife, Jessica, are the campus pastors for Hillsong Geneva. And Daniel and I, we go way back, actually. In fact, Daniel and I were housemates at Hillsong College uh, just over a decade ago, actually. And so I think it's uh, pretty cool for me to actually see where Daniel has become and the person that he is. And honestly, I look up to him and I've learned so much from him as a person, just watching him in these years and the way that he's grown and the way that God has used him. I think it's amazing. And so Daniel and I, we talk about our time in college, but really we just have a great conversation around leadership and what it means to lead the church and how to trust people and how to bring people on team and bring people into the church. And this is a conversation that you don't want to miss. In fact, this is a conversation that I think, you know, Daniel says some stuff that is so good. You're going to want to get a notebook out and write some of it down because I think it's going to be able to apply to your leadership and your life, whoever and wherever you are. So without any further ado, would you please welcome with me, Pastor Daniel Darcy. Well, Daniel Darcy, welcome to On Point. It's so good to have you here, man. What a, what a privilege it is to have the legend himself joining me. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. It's so good to be with you. Thank you. I remember the first moment that we met. Yeah. I, and I won't forget because we were actually housemates at Hillsong College in Australia we were, together. Man. Living and I the dream. Oh, man, living the dream. I, I remember you came in and you had the room right across the hall from mine. And I remember you came yeah. in and you said, I'm Daniel Darcy. And uh, my life has not been the same from that moment. I got to be honest. <laughs> Bro, I, I remember one thing when okay. we arrived in that house. Do you remember when we arrived in the house and it was totally empty? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and the first thing I say is that we need a fridge. <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but the next morning there was a fridge in front of the house because the neighbors <laughs> were moving out. Yeah, that's right. I almost forgot. Yeah, that was awesome. Man, that was like a miracle. It was, yeah. uh, I, I totally remember that happening. And you you were like, yes, we need a fridge. I'm thankful that you were so adamant that you're like, we, we have to get a fridge. Because I don't know what I would have done, to be honest. I mean, uh, I was just thinking about food, man. <laughs> But here, hey, here's something I do remember about you. I remember you would sit in your room. And in fact, I remember one night uh, I was in the living room, which was under your room. And it was late. And I was there with a, a couple people. I don't know who. Um, and I was like, what's that sound? And all I remember is like, I think Daniel's upstairs singing. And you were in your room with your guitar, your acoustic guitar. And you were just having a full-on worship session, man. <laughs> And at first I was like, what, what is going on? It's like 1130 at night. And then I remember just thinking, man, I respect that so much. Here's a guy that's just going to take some time and just worship God by himself. There's no audience. There's nobody that cares. And you're just like praising God. And dude, I thought, I think actually, that is actually something that is, I've kept with me. And I think it speaks to the heart of who you are as a person, that you're just passionate about Jesus. You're a passionate guy in general. But man, I love that about you. I think it's I think it's amazing to see your heart and even to see it like a decade ago in Australia and how I think it's just grown and grown since then. It's amazing, man. Thanks, man. Honestly, um I like Jesus changed my life and and Jesus basically is everything that we need. And at the end of the day, when it comes to like this special time of Bible college, I was just trying to get as close as possible to him. Yeah. But what, one thing I realized that like in that time of Bible college, it became a lifestyle to actually, not, you know, like, like the Bible says in John 4 that God is seeking for worshipers. He's not seeking for worship. He's seeking for worshipers. That's good. And so we, we as his people are called to worship him in spirit and truth. And, um, and I was, I was actually preaching about this a few weeks ago and I'm, um, one thing about adoration is that you can't fake it. You have to come as you are before God. And that's where worship happens, you know. Yeah. So there's so many things I've learned in college. And to be honest, I'm, I'm so grateful for our church. I'm so grateful also for Pastor Brendan and Cami. Honestly, like, I, I love the example they are, you know, like just like the, the example of faith, but also the example of like speaking life and building church, planning new campuses. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, like... Even when I, when I was in college and I remember like listening to Pastor Brian, I, I probably Pastor Brian is the best example of someone who is speaking life into people. And that basically has built a legacy for him and Pastor Bobby, obviously, and just the way they actually um, empower people. That speaks volume about them, you know, and it speaks volume about what, like, just the heart they have, the heart from God and for God. So I'm, I'm inspired by our church, and I've been building the church for 10 years now, and still the same. I love God, and I love people, and I love doing life with, like, so many different people. You know, well, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm going in a different direction there. Please, but, you go ahead. Um, <clears throat> When we started the church seven years ago, I um, I met with a pastor, and one of the things he told me is, oh, you'll see leadership could can be very lonely. Yeah. And, um, and in my heart, I was like, well, I don't want that to happen, you know? 
And it's true, leadership can be lonely, but you can choose to actually be authentic enough to surround yourself with like people who you can trust and people that will trust you and that you can do life with. And it changes everything, changes everything. Yeah, I think that that's a good lesson for young leaders to learn that leadership doesn't have to be lonely because that's something that I've heard before as well. Leadership is lonely. It's lonely at the top, uh, et cetera. Um, but I've also heard like, hey, it's only lonely if you don't take anyone there with you. And it's like, yeah, like for young leaders, young church planters, I think that exactly what you're saying is such an important lesson for people to learn. It doesn't have to be lonely. You don't have to be isolated. You don't have to be on your own. And um, and it's it's actually key that you're not, right? And And that's why I even, I appreciate someone like you where you're going to lead by example in that. And you're going to say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to just accept that as, as what it's going to be. So I think that's awesome, man. Well done. Thanks, man. I, um, you know, at the end of the day, one of the things that helps you not being lonely at the top as a leader, as a pastor is the ability to say, I messed up. How can I be better next time? I think if you just have that humility to say, hey, you know what? I wasn't right on that one. Um, Let's think together how we can be better in the future. People will actually feel like they can walk alongside you because they sense that you're going to take their advice. You're going to take what they think into consideration. Mm. And um, I think sometimes being teachable is one of the key to actually not doing life by yourself. Wow. How... Mm. How do you think somebody can become more teachable? Like, what do, you, what do you think people should pursue? Man, that's actually a very tough question yeah. because, like, it's mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, it's, and it's ego as well. It's good. Like, you know, sometimes it's all about me and, you know, carrying sometimes an image that it's not really who I am. Mm-hmm. And um, to become more teachable, I think sometimes we just need to humble ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And humbling yourself doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to take every opinion into consideration. But it means that you understand everyone has strength. We, we, in our church, we work a lot with the, the Gallup Strength Finder and the strength yep. team. And um, this is such an amazing tool to realize, to realize that everyone has strength. Yeah. Everyone has a God-given purpose and a God-given talent. And if you can just find what it is... And then in that sphere, in that field, you will be able to take that person with you rather than trying to impose something on him or on her, you know? That's good. Man, I, I, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that, really. And it's, um, I think it's cool to, to hear your heart for that, though, because I, I, I think that it, it can be that a lot of pastors think, I have every strength and that it's just for me. All the strengths mm. in the church, all the gifting, it's just for me. And I'm the one person that has, you know, the calling and the gifting and everything else. And everybody else, you just have to, you know, serve me and do what I tell you to do mm. and be what I tell you to be. And I think yeah. that's just an unhealthy environment. And I don't actually think it's a really great way to build church. I think it's no, great okay. to be able to empower other people's gifting. Have you yeah. seen, like, like, success in that? Have you seen... Like, how have you seen church grow because of your willingness to empower others and elevate their strengths? Well, one thing I want to say is that honor goes both ways. And 
and and as you honor each other, as you love each other, you'll see the church being built. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it's all about honoring one person, or if it's all, all about not wanting the honor, then you, you, you go into a system that is unhealthy, you know? But when you, you truly, sincerely honor each other, you actually create a sense of trust around you. And I'm actually, we're talking about that the other day, but I think for me, as like the more I grow and the more I, I get older as well, yeah. and the more I realize that everything about life is a decision be- between trusting and being in control. And like with, with my amazing wife, Jessica, we've been married 10 years now. We have two beautiful uh, children, uh, Zaina, who is uh, one and a half, and Eden, who is three and a half months. And, and growing a little human being, you realize how much you, you have to choose between trust and control. Wow. And um, man, I tell you, like um, she's turning two in a couple of months. I already have a teenager at home sometimes. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the church is the same, man. Like I, I always compare like the process of planning a church with the process of having kids, you know, and raising them. And, and in that process of building the church, of planting a church, you have to decide as a leader, am I going to be in control or am I going to trust? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you need to be um, unwise about who you're going to trust. We need right. wisdom and discernment about who is going to carry the church. But still, once you have trustworthy people, are you going to really act as, as you trust them? Or are you going right. to act as you want to control every single decision, every single things you're doing? And um, then I was, I've been there. I, I tell you, like the first years of the of the church, and and the people who who were with me can tell you, I was a flipping freak, man. <laughs> I, was, I, I was a freak, honestly. Yeah. I, I, like I was like trying to control everything. I was like, you know, like the light should be in that direction and not in that direction. And and that cable is not exactly at that place, should be in this place. Yeah, and yeah. you spend one minute to like I was like and at some point I was just like, Man, you are actually going the wrong way. You you yeah. need to chillax, you need to think about the bigger picture of the church. And as a leader, you need to do only what what only you can do. Mm. And um, sorry, man, I'm speaking a lot here. No, but, no, no. Um, this is what we want. I'm glad that you are. Okay. You feel free. Keep going. Okay. So, so, so trust versus control. I think yeah. this is such a big one, honestly, and and one of the key to healthy leadership. Yeah. And um, w- one thing I realized is that it's it's always a, a fine line or a balance between releasing people but supervising them. So you release, you trust, but then you come after and you make sure you're still there in the process. Mm -hmm. But what you don't want is to actually control the decision even before they've made one, right? So you want to let them make some decisions and then come after and be like, okay, how can we do things differently? Um, And even if they messed up big time, you know what? It's, It's great because... If they've done a mistake, that's a great opportunity to help them grow and learn and do differently the next time. Yeah. So, you know, uh, John Maxwell has that principle of falling forward. I think it's him. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So falling forward really means like there's no mistakes. If you can actually 
supervise the person in a healthy way and in a way that actually going to allow him or her to do things differently in the future. Yeah. And, and very often when my, my leaders can come to me and they're like, oh, Dan, what do you think we should do this or that? I'm like, well, what would you do? And they're like, oh, maybe we can try this. Okay, let's try it, you know. And, and acting like that is actually going to create an uh, environment of trust around you and also an environment that allows people to take initiative because that's yeah. the fruit of trust. The fruit of trust is that people take initiative. The fruit of control is that people feel like they, in French, we say sclerose. The fruit of control, basically, is that people don't move. They, yeah. they, they feel stuck. They feel yeah. like they can't go anywhere. They can't take a decision by themselves. Yeah. So they get, their God-given purpose won't be actually fully expressed because you're limiting them as a leader, you know. Mm. And, and it's, a, it's a fine line, you know. It's, it's, yeah, but th that's one thing I'm really, like, pondering on recently. And I realized that it's such, such an important thing to build the church. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think that as pastors, we have a responsibility to help people uh, fall forward, that when people fail, that they know that failure is not fatal, that when it comes to church, they don't have to feel like they're tiptoeing around us as pastors and, oh my goodness, I made a mistake. They're going to, you, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, no, 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 we want to be releasing, you know? And I love yeah. how you're saying like, hey, how can I help you make sure that next time, you know, we're able to, uh, move forward perhaps in a different way than what we did this time. Like there's no problem yeah. with that. There's no problem yeah. with pursuing excellence and pursuing the best in that, but we yeah. need to help people on that journey. And I think it's important for young pastors, for any pastor to hear what you're saying loud and clear mm -hmm. that it's all about trust. And I love what you're saying about what the fruit of trust is. Um, I think it's like, Hey, let's pursue that all the time. Mm -hmm. Cause I've also been in that place where I'm like, uh, okay, uh, turn the lights up brighter, turn the lights down brighter, turn the lights up brighter, turn the sound <laughs> yeah. down. Like I've been doing that too. And I'm not helping anybody, you know, when I, when I'm at the front at worship and it's like, uh, oh man, I'm going to just sprint back to the soundboard and like ask them to change something. It's like, I'm helping nobody. Nobody mm -hmm. else is really thinking about this, but me. In fact, I'm causing a bigger distraction by running around like a crazy person on a Sunday. I'm not allowing the team to just do what they, they need to do. And they're good at and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in the wrong time. Like if it's something really big, okay, I'll take it after the service with them. But yeah, yeah I've, I've been in that same place, man. And I've, I'm, I'm a work in progress with this. Let me tell you, yeah. I'm still learning that well, lesson. Man, I raised my hand on that one. Like, <laughs> thank God. No worries. I'm, I'm glad we can relate on that though. I think it's yeah, important. Yeah. But, but like what I love with what you're saying is that there's still room for feedbacks. Right. I think this is the important thing. And I come back to your question where you said, how, how can we become more teachable, right? Right. So as leaders, we need also to create a culture where people are used to receive feedbacks. Yeah. But there's a yeah. way of bringing feedbacks. There's a healthy, healthy feedbacks and unhealthy feedbacks. Yeah. So if, if the way you bring feedbacks to your people actually make them feel encouraged and feel like next time we can do things better and they feel like, oh, we've done a great job today. Right. That's great. But yeah. if your feedback makes them feel crap about their self. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you need to think about it next yeah. time, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm a great fan of feedbacks. We do it very often in our campus and it's mm -hmm. a culture that I really, I make, I make sure 
like our leaders are used to it, but there's a sense of wisdom in the feedbacks. And one of the things I try really to do is that for every challenging feedbacks, I'm going to give three positive one. Right. And, and so, and if there's a few negative feedbacks to give, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them all at once. That's good. I'm just going to filter it a little bit so the person can take it, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is wisdom. That really is wisdom. Yeah. And wisdom builds the house. And I don't think there's any reason to just like uh, dump on somebody a yeah. whole bunch of feedback. And especially if we're, if we're dealing with volunteers, um, I think it can be different if it's like on a staff level, uh, I still, we need to do it with wisdom and grace. I mean, we yeah. always want to honor people, but especially when we're dealing with volunteers, it's like, um, at the end of the day, this person is freely giving their time to us. And I think the moment we start taking that for granted as pastors, it, it's a slippery slope to nobody wanting to serve with us very quickly. So true. And I, yeah. I agree when it comes to feedback, it's so important to see the person on the other side, not just the task that they were uh, delegated, but actually to see the person and to see the willing heart, the person who yeah. at least raised their hand and said, hey, I'll, I'll do this. It's like sometimes we forget that, right? This person volunteered. They put up their hand out of a whole bunch of people. They're the one who said, Hey, let me take that responsibility. And I think when we remember that, and it's even like the, uh, Stephen, Stephen Covey, seven habits principle, um, seek first to understand, uh, not to be understood. And I think that there's a bit of a, an important reality of that as well. Like, Hey, let's seek first to understand where this person is coming from, what they were dealing with, maybe why it didn't go the way that it was supposed to go. And then let's help yeah. them through. And I, I think that that's a, a key thing. And I, I've seen as well uh, the importance of bringing feedback as close to the event as possible. So like not being like, oh, oh yeah. six, six months ago, you messed this up. And don't let that happen again. It's like, hey, the time has passed, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because the emotional space is still there. We're yeah. still in the moment. So it's much easier to bring the feedback right there rather than to wait even a couple of weeks. And then you have to recreate all the, the, yeah. the space and the emotional and the feelings. Yeah, yeah no, I get it totally. It's good, man. Um, no, it's good what you're saying, man. I wanted to say something about, oh, yeah, 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 about volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, I got very challenged by one question uh, recently, and it was, um, do your volunteers, after one year of serving under you, your leadership, are they becoming a better person? Are they becoming closer to? Are they are they becoming closer to God? And also, are they growing in their skills? Wow! And so I was like, whoa, this is so challenging because I'm I'm not sure I can answer positively to that question for all our volunteers. Right. Um, maybe some of them. But then there's also some people that maybe they've been stuck in the same position for a very long time. And my role as a leader is to say, hey, what are you passionate about? What, like, what do you wow. truly love? What are the things? Because like that person has shown faithfulness. Now tell me what you would love to become and to do, you know, rather than just filling a spot. and. Every time we have new volunteers coming on team, I always try to have that language and I really challenge my leaders to have the same language to say, okay, what are you passionate about? Um, 
because I think we can have gap fillers for short term and, and we do have that, that that's okay. But you long term, you want people to serve where they're passionate, not not where your need is. And, and that's something that is very tricky because if you always look at how you can fill the gaps and how you can strength, strengthen weak part of the church with volunteers, you end up in a system where it's all about the needs of the church. But right. if you are focusing on the passions and, and, and the talents of the volunteers and the leaders, then you might have bigger gaps at the beginning. But then as the church grows, you're going to become better and better. And you ha- you're going to have a stronger team across the board because they will be focusing on what they love. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be passionate about what they do. So they will last the journey instead of having to like switch and have like, you know, like um, a lot of turnover in your teams, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of churches experience that turnover. Um, turnover it's is just massive. Like, yeah, it's massive. Just kind of cranking through people and imagining people as a bit of a uh, kind of an expendable resource that like, okay, when we're through with you, we're through with you and somebody else will come. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's yeah. also a, a difficult thing. And, and coming coming to also like the, the season we all experienced with like the, the COVID season recently, yeah. when you have a church that is very used to gather on Sunday and to put together a great event on Sunday, if suddenly you can't do that event and the people you're working with are not passionate about what they're doing, it's going to be much more easier to lose them than if they actually love what they're doing. Right. And... um. I mean, and I, I say that in all humility, but across the last year and a half, we lost one leader and that's because he moved away. Wow. Everyone was still there after one year of COVID, you know, and, and, and all, all glory be to God. Honestly, it's, it's not about me or my leadership. You know, it's really about godly principles that we can apply and that actually bear fruits, you know? Yeah. Well mm-hmm. done, because I think that a lot of people have seen as you're describing an exact opposite where maybe yeah. they had one leader stay <laughs> and uh, it feels like the sad. whole team fell apart, you know, yeah. how did, how did, how did, um, how did you guys navigate the pandemic? How did you, I mean, how did you inspire hope in people? How did you push forward? Well, I, I truly believe that the, the greatest impact we can have on people is through relationship, not position. And, um, and, and that people at the end of the day are not going to look at your title, but they're going to look at the relationship you have and the relationships they have between each other. And so when the, the COVID hit and um, we, we had to, you know, to lock down and we had to stop the Sunday services. Well, first of all, I have to say I am super grateful for our church and Hillsong Friends and especially the creative team as well, that really right. had such a, like the adaptability was amazing, honestly. Like like within within days, not even weeks, we became, we, we started to have an online service and that really helped in the process. That was amazing, right. honestly. Right. Um, I was blown away. Like we, we, we were so good at that and, and that's definitely, like one of our, one of the great strengths of our church. Yeah. Um, so the online service really helped, but then the other thing that really helped was to say, okay, guys, 
we're not going to focus on like new projects. We're not going to focus on things we can't control. We're just going to focus on people. Right. So we, we went into connect groups. We went into Zooms. We went into relationship mode. And all we were doing for a year is like pastoral care, you know, like building relationships, texting people, calling people, making sure they're fine. If someone was at the hospital, we're praying for him, for her. Mm -hmm. We're believing together and we just basically like hibernated. Did you say that in, in English? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we, we went into pose mode and uh -huh. we just took care of people, you know, and, and we waited and we waited knowing that the storm never lasts, you know. Right. And now you've opened back up again. You have services going in person. Yeah. So praise God, we've started. Um, and so that's the amazing thing as well that I am so grateful for is that we stopped church. I mean, services, Sunday services um, in March 2020. And we had two services and then we opened again a year and a half. Well, a year later with three services <laughs> because, well, we, we were allowed only 50 people in, in the theater. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and so we're like, okay, well, 50 people, like the math was very easy. We needed at, at least three services. And even with the three services, we had to, to say no to a lot of people every Sunday. So we did that. And, uh, a few, yeah, a few weeks ago, we could go from, a, from 50 to a hundred, mm -hmm. but we kept three services. And now in a couple of weeks, beginning of July, that's when we're going to go back to two services yep. because things are reopening. But basically we've been doing three services for four months. Mm -hmm. And um, man, I tell you, like people are hungry. They're hungry for authentic relationships. They, they're hungry for God, for, yeah. for true spirituality. They, they're hungry, honestly. Like within these last four months, we've seen 14 people getting baptized. We've been, wow. we've seen so many people giving their their life to Jesus. We've seen like great, great things. Um, we um, and and one testimony that I am really grateful for is that we stopped um, like one year ago, June 20. Um, I mean June 2020, we had 22 connect groups, mm -hmm. and um, now one year later, we've got 37. Wow. And just like that in itself, I think speaks volume about the power of relationships and the yes. power of just a healthy home, you know, a healthy home that actually loves people, add value on them, encourage yeah. them, speak into their life and do life together, you know, yeah. and doing life together is not about um, the, the tap on the shoulder on Sunday morning. Doing life together is about the little SMS when the person is about to um, get his exams. It's it's about the little phone call when someone needs prayer. It's about it's just about these little things where you are doing life with people, and that makes the biggest difference, I think. Tell me a little bit about um, Swiss culture and how you are impacting that. Are people generally? Uh, are they very community minded or are they more isolated in Swiss culture or how is that? Like, are, are you as a church, like, are you very countercultural by doing things like connect groups or are you serving uh, a kind of a culture that already exists there? Like how, how do you approach reaching people in a Swiss yeah. context? Uh, well, I start with a little joke. I think, I think Swiss people are like chocolate, you know, very hard on the outside, but then sweet like a chocolate in the inside one, <laughs> once it melts a little bit, you know. I like that. <laughs> but um, 
So, so Switzerland is, is kind of an interesting case because um, we don't have many big cities. Geneva is one of the biggest cities in the country, but, but there's a few ones. But most of the country is like small, small cities or even right. towns. And because of that, I think that we still have a sense of community in our in, in our country, a mm-hmm. sense of like, we want to be a nation together. We want to be, um, you know, we recognize the, the importance of like, like things like family and, and actually having like good relationships around you. But then when you... When you look at the culture in Geneva, for example, in a big city, it's much more individualistic. And right. Geneva is a very international city with the UN and all the uh, NGOs and all the um, embassies. And so, so it's like, I mean, 35% of our campus basically don't speak English, uh, don't speak French. They, they only speak English. Wow. So we okay. have a, it's, it's an international church, really. And, um, and um, what, what one thing I realized about your, your question is that we, yeah, I, I honestly think we live in 2021 in a, in, a, in, a, in a society, in a culture where we don't understand the power of community. Because people, we, we say community and they think about your Facebook community, your right. Instagram community. And it's not really communities. It's more like center of interest, you know. Yeah. So you have the same interest as someone. So you're part of the same community, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, this is not true relationships, you know. And um, where else in our society today you can find a place like the church where you have the lawyer who is actually in relationship with the guy who is um, seeking for a job, uh, or the, the the guy who is like in uh, you know like in an entrepreneur, and he's in a, in a in the same connect group of someone who is a refugee, you know, or right. like like someone who is um, working in a, like um, like in like in a store who will be in a relationship with like someone who is an elder who has been in church for years. Like wh- where do you find in our, in our society today, that mixture of people yeah. where it's not about our center of interest, but it's about a common cause. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't at all. Like I, I, I I'm, I'm still thinking, I don't, I don't really see examples of that, you know, in our society. No. And, and that's why I think church is so important and can be so relevant for our generation. I, I truly believe Europe needs more relevant churches and the churches need to realize how relevant they can be for our, our society today. Yeah, what do, what do you see? I mean, when you look at Europe as a whole and moving now into, I mean, certainly a post-pandemic Europe, but also in many ways a bit of a post-Christian Europe, um, where for a lot of people, I mean, church is no longer a priority in their life. And, but, but at the same time, spirituality is still something that people are seeking, yeah. although via so many other avenues um, that we can see all the time that people are still seeking out spirituality in their life. But for some reason, um, they're not seeking out church in quite the same way. But mm-hmm. what, what do you see in you know, the next coming decade, the next coming 20 years? What, what are you? What's filling you with hope right now, even for Europe as a continent, when it comes to what God is doing and what He's going to continue to do? 
I honestly believe for massive revival in Europe. Amen. That's my that's my my conviction. We are entering in a post-COVID season where people actually are questioning a lot of things. Right. And and also that has shook people to the core. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually I was reading studies about that and how people who had a sense of spirituality in their lives actually went through COVID in a much better and healthier way than wow. people who had no sense of spirituality because there was no hope for them. Like, right. like spirituality brings hope. Mm-hmm. And as we hope for the future, we can actually go through storms and we can go through like difficult times. But without hope, there's a, there's a sense of, well, why does it even is my life worthy to be lived? You know, right. like this is some of the stuff we've heard as a church, people facing depression and loneliness and being so shook by this COVID um, pandemic mm-hmm. that they, they were even questioning if they should live or not. Mm-hmm. And I think for Europe, there is an awakening of the church. And yes, we are in a post-Christian world, but at the same time, that means that we can be fully radical for Jesus. Yeah. And I think Jesus is irres- irresistible. Yeah. And as we actually present Jesus, if we are as the church, and I'm, I'm saying the church with a capital C, yeah. if we become good at presenting the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, what he did on the cross, if we actually take the time to explain the gospel, Man, honestly, I believe that so many people will be actually willing to come back to church, not because it's the church, but because they want to know about Jesus. And we are coming into a like like the, the generation now that is coming. They don't care anymore about denominations and right. which church and blah. Like these things don't matter so much anymore for people. What they want is authenticity. They want a true relationship. They want to know that this is something worth to be living for. Yeah. And um and Jesus is the answer. And I, I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that as a light answer. I'm actually truly believing that as we focus on presenting Jesus people will come to church. Right. The, the problem of, and, and maybe one key about that, because like, I don't know who is listening to me not right now. Um, I think in the past, the church was very good at making sure we behave in a certain way. So, so the process of integration in, the, in, in a church was very often, somehow you, you start to believe I don't right. know how, maybe through your family, through whatever. And so because you believe, then you come into a group of people where you have to behave a certain way. And because you believe and you behave, then therefore you belong to the community. Right. When now that paradigm totally shifted and now the, 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 it's actually that you want to belong, right? So you come to church and the first step is to belong. And because you belong because you actually see the spouse of Christ in action, because you fall in love with the church, you be, you're going to become a believer. You're going to actually start to believe in Jesus. And a lot of people actually encounter Jesus through his uh, spouse, through the church, you know, and they fall in love with the church before encountering Jesus, you know. 
and and so so you 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 be you belong and because you belong you start to believe and because you believe in Jesus he by the power of the holy spirit trans- transform your life and then you start to behave wow and you don't start to behave out of a you must but you start to behave out of a like a true hard transformation right and and i think if we get that process right and as the church, we become good at welcoming people so that they can belong. Then we'll see that they're going to start to believe and therefore behave. Man, uh, that is fantastic. That is an, a paradigm shift that's necessary. Mm-hmm. I love, like, I love that phrase, like, um, "Hey, you can belong before you believe." And I think that that's what will, uh, like, what you're saying. Like, ultimately, I think that that's going to bring people into our churches because, again, people are seeking belonging in all yeah. the wrong places in life and it's coming up empty time and time again and they're looking for it here and they're looking for it there and maybe they feel a sense of it or something for uh, a number of months or a couple of years but all of a sudden they they realize that the center of it is hollow there's no substance there's nothing in it and there's no life change there's no transformation there's no redemption there's no salvation um, whereas the church hey we have the answer and I, I agree. I think we've been, we, we, mm. historically, the church has spent so much energy on trying to get people to behave first, uh, yeah. like a behavior modification program in order to get people to uh, uh, earn a belonging in the church. And that's just so upside down from what the gospel shows us that shows, yeah. hey, let's, I, I love what you're saying, belonging, let's go, um, mm. belief, and then behavior. And exactly as you say, behavior then, it actually becomes easy because suddenly, as we've been transformed and renewed from the inside out, all of a sudden sin doesn't look tempting in the same way. All of a sudden we yeah. want to run from it. All of a sudden we want to run to Jesus. And it's not a, I have to do this and I have to like, you know, read my Bible this much and I have to pray. It's like, how much can I read my Bible? I can't wait to pray today. I can't wait to worship God because it's like yeah. welling up and overflowing from within me. And I think that that is a way healthier approach to take. That's awesome, man. No, I was just uh, I was just thinking on like how we can actually apply that in the life of the church, you know, and how we can really yeah. experience that because I like I, I do realize as well that uh, I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm building a, a certain type of church, like a specific type of uh, church that that also like has a specific culture. But then there's many different churches across Europe with many different cultures. And so I think, I think the bottom line is that we need to come back to the gospel because what you just said, like Jesus outlived it, like he yeah, showed yeah. the way. I mean, he like, you know, when, when he, when he like, and one of the story that really like, I think embodies the best, this, what, what you just said is, is the story with the adultery woman, you know, yeah, because at no point Jesus actually judged her or asked her to behave a certain way. He just received her as she was. And then he said, go, your sins are forgiven. But he also said, sin no more. Yeah. So, so the behaving is there, like sin no more is there, you know. But that's the last sentence. Yeah. That's not the first one. That's the last one, you know. So he first welcomed her meaning belonging, yeah. then he says, 
your like like your sins are forgiven, like believe. Yeah. And then he says, sin no more. Wow. See? And um and again and again and again in every stories when we study the life of Jesus, we see that pattern, you know? Like so so and and sometimes we wanna we wanna create a gospel that is according to what suits us best. Yeah. And sometimes we just need to be amazed at the grace of God. Grace has come and because grace has come, like things that were that would make sense to men now are foolishness. Yeah. And, um, and we need to realize how the gospel actually is the truth because it doesn't make sense. It yeah. just doesn't make sense, man. Like, and over the years, the reason why I'm still a Christian is that it's the only only religion, only only faith that actually doesn't humanly make sense. Mm-hmm. It has to come from above. Mm-hmm. That that idea of grace and that idea that God would become man to actually reach out to humanity doesn't it's it's crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No man would have invented that. Yeah. Because it's not the way we are like um wired, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm now I'm I want to preach now, you know. So <laughs> I am um, I, I just I wanted to to recommend one book if that yes, that's absolutely. something I can do. Cool. Um it's uh it maybe you have read it. It's the leadership pipeline. I don't know if you know that that book. I, I've heard this. I haven't read this one yet. So basically that book is um I think mind blowing for any any leaders of an organization, honestly. Who wrote and, it? And so, well, it's actually three different guys who wrote it together. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Ram Charan, Steve Drotter, and Jim Noel. So cool. it's not actually one person who wrote it, cool. which makes it even more interesting, I think. Yeah, I think so but, um, too. <laughs> the, the, the main idea that we can get out of this book is to build layers of leadership in an organization. And as you add new layers of leadership, you create more space for people to rise and therefore you will create more space um, uh, for new people to get involved. And so in, in, in a, basically in a church context, that would mean, for example, focusing our energy to raise more team and department leaders instead of focusing on only recruiting new volunteers, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, so that's one of the main ideas. That's one of the main thing I've been applying here in, in cool. Geneva. And that's one of the things that really helped me to actually um, respond to the growth of the church. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to order that book, honestly, as soon as we hang up, because that sounds awesome. I love that kind of thing. Um, but hey, Daniel, this has been awesome, man. I could sit and talk with you about this kind of stuff forever. I love talking this and I love your heart for church and your heart for first and foremost, I'll say, I love your heart for Jesus because that shines through so powerfully in hearing you speak. I, what I love to see is that you are a person that is passionate about leadership, but you're passionate about leadership, not for the sake of leadership, but for the sake of bringing people to Jesus. And I think that that is a winning combination. That is a powerful combination. And I think that God is looking for people like you to do that. And so 
man, I just, I really even just feel for you that you are going to continue to be such an example for leaders across Europe of what it looks like to lead a strong, healthy church, lead a strong, healthy family, and pursue Jesus relentlessly, passionately with all your heart. And I honestly, man, I mean, I look up to you in this a lot. And even just talking to you now and, you know, our phone call last week, I mean, I'm really thankful for you. And uh, I'm thankful for, for the work that you're doing, man. So keep going. I'm cheering you on like crazy. And uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to do through you. Thanks, bro. Um, it has been a true honor to be on, 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 on this show. And to be honest, uh, Luke, I think what you're doing is so important. Uh, so I'm cheering on you too because um, it's inspiring. And uh, you and Victoria are an amazing couple, honestly. Um, with Jess, we love you guys. And um, yeah. as I told you as well, Whenever you want to have a little trip to Switzerland, um, you know who to ask. <laughs> we'll be making that happen because I totally want to get there. Come hey, on. Th Daniel, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, Luke. Well, I told you, Daniel is so full of wisdom. What a leader. And I'm so thankful to call him a friend. Hey, make sure you connect with Daniel on social media. You can follow him on Instagram at Daniel Darcy. Darcy spelled D-A-R-C-E-Y. Uh, I really think it's worth a follow. So go ahead and do that. And again, thank you for listening. We're so glad that you joined us today. Um, it really makes a difference. If you enjoyed it, again, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. But also, uh, why not share this with somebody? Just take a minute and hit the share button in whatever app you're listening to this in and uh, send a text, email, whatever to somebody and say, hey, I think that you should listen to this podcast. We'd really appreciate if you would take the time to do that. Also, On Point is brought to you by ECGI, the European Church Growth Initiative. We equip churches, pastors, and leaders for influential ministry, and one of the ways that we do this is through this podcast. You can find out more about us at ecgi.se and make sure you subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything that's going on and how you can be involved in helping to equip churches across Europe. Thank you for listening. I'm Luke Betger, and this has been On Point. <laughs>